Hey, welcome to the show. Paul George in studio. Deacon Adam Conk, Uncle Chad. What's up, fellas? Yeah, yeah. What's we up? got a full studio. We got a good show planned. I think, honestly, you guys, this is going to be a packed show because we got uh, a lot going on. Mm-hmm. FYI, I mean, we're about to be in Palm Sunday, Holy Holy Week. It's a big deal. Uh, and then I'm kind of thinking Easter week, we might not record. So then we got Easter. We're going to smash it all together into one big happy meal. I love it. Mm. March Madness, baby. You could use a good meal. <laughs> March Madness. Um, so anyway, um, it's great to be with you guys. I'm looking forward to the show. Thanks, everyone, for listening in on the radio, KLFT Radio here in Acadiana or on the podcast. However you're listening, feel free to share that, share the show. So it's good to be with you guys. So, Chad, how's it going, man? I've, it's official. I walked by your vehicle, and it kind of hit me. Okay. So I parked by you today outside okay. the studio, and then... You know, when I got on my truck, I wasn't like looking in your vehicle, like, "Hey, let me let me steal something." Sure, there you aren't. But because I can just see, I just saw in, and I saw the little baby seat clicker in there. You know, and I was <laughs> oh, like, "Yeah, it's official." Chad's Chad's a Chad's a real dad. I am a real dad. I feel like a real dad. dad. Chad. Someone told me I had a dad bod the other day. <laughs> <laughs> wow, man. We certainly dress like a dad. No, thanks. Offense. I was gone. I'm going for it. <laughs> Yep. Trying to let the world know. Yeah. So anyway, welcome to the club again. So do you have a have you seen? What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real though? For real though. You are for real? For real. Okay. Um, so a lot of things going on right now. A lot of weird things this this week is. Is this another space thing? It's not about space, I promise. Okay. It is a little weird. But um there's there's big things that have happened. This past week, okay. uh, that I'm not going to talk about, but I'll mention it. The volcano that erupted, pretty crazy, right? Uh, the cicadas are coming back. Like the um, what are they? What are they called? Locusts. L- locusts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In- so there's all that. So there's those things. But the thing that I've been hearing a lot about lately, and I don't think people know that much about, are things called NFTs. You ever heard of that? I saw something about that, but I don't really know what not it is. NFP. Yeah. No. NFT. Not NFP. No. NFT. Not not enough people know about NFP. Right. You could probably get by not knowing about an NFT. We can do a whole (laughs) whole show on NFP. Okay, so NFTs are what? They're called, they're non-fungible tokens is what it's called. Non-fungible token. And what it is, you've heard of things like Bitcoin, right? So it's like Bitcoin, but it's built into this whole system. And what it is, is like digital art, okay? Digital art. And uh, basically, it's like the way people are starting to trade art now. So you can buy originals of certain digital art that you can own the rights to digitally. So on the internet, whatever, um, and are selling for a lot of money. So okay, so I Maybe have one thing. If I have it was heard a lot of, of this. Money. I didn't know what it, you know it was called, but I didn't know the art thing. But so if you translate that, I heard that this is going on. So you know, like when I grew up. And maybe a little bit when you guys grew up were sports cards. So you can buy someone's rookie card, you know, yes. yada, yada. And you can hold on to it, sell it, and it's worth a lot of value. And and in some ways, those things kind of come and go, sort of the market for them. Um, and they still have some value. But now what they're doing, what I heard of, which is kind of crazy, is that you could buy a say a clip, a video clip of mm-hmm. a highlight. So you would yes. say, I'm gonna have I'm gonna buy Michael Jordan's dunk from the free throw line from in the nineteen eighties. You're gonna buy that clip. So you own it and then you it has value and then I don't know, you can resell it it's, later on or it's like owning an original painting. 
like the prints, cool, it's the same thing, right? But the original is valuable, so it's kind of like that. This is crazy. It's like that. So yeah, I'll tell you why people think it's such a big deal. They think it's such a big deal because people, these people that are buying it, like big time people, they spent sixty million dollars on like one clip one time. That's one of the transactions that happened. Sixty million dollars so, on an original music video. Okay, so the question that I, I have, and I want to research this some more because it is fascinating to me, is you know, if you own the clip, do you make money on it by like a royalty on views or whatever, or does it just hold its value till you sell it again? That's what I don't know. It's, just, it's the latter. So you don't make any royalty on it. Okay. But you do have rights to produce it. But the the big thing is people think that in the future we'll live in a virtual reality most of our most of our waking hours will be in a virtual reality. So in that virtual reality, you own these art assets. Yeah, I kind of believe it because here's the thing. I'm going to stop telling people they're crazy because, you know, I grew up with Blockbuster. Blockbuster, you walked into a video store, you bought a VHS tape, right? And it was a fascinating idea. And like on Friday nights or Saturdays, it was like a family event to go to Blockbuster. Mm -hmm. And you rented a movie for $3, $5 or whatever. You brought it home, put it in this big VHS player, Okay. That was a new concept. So the makers of Netflix went to the owners of Blockbuster and said, we have this idea. Everything is going to be, all these videos are going to be online and streaming. And they laughed them out of the door and told them they were crazy. Mm -hmm. And look where we are now. Like we're in this total streaming world of video and movie and whatnot. So if you're telling me that eventually we're going to be like virtual art, whatever. Okay. Yeah. So that's what they believe is that like basically their little virtual house that they live in most of the day in virtual reality will be able to put up these videos or these pieces of art. Um, the guy that invented Twitter, he sold his first tweet for like $30 million. Oh my goodness. That's nuts. Okay, so here, here's sort of a fascinating Weird. You know, question of that in relation to the show because I can tie in just you about pretty everything. pretty good at it. Right. <laughs> Is, uh, okay, so if you can... If you could collect any relic of any saint, um, wh- what would it be? But you get one, okay, and that that relic stays with you. You know, it's it's like it's like a big deal, okay. Other than like, no, I can't tell you. Other than okay, what would you? What would you? <laughs> All right, because I'll, there's there's some cool ones, and yeah. you know, and those are those are worth a lot. Like people would pay a lot of money, and you know, back in the history of the church, like. They would pay a lot of money to have relics transferred to certain churches or for people to buy them and own them. There was a lot of discrepancy, a lot of crookedness that went on in selling of relics, things like that. But you talk about what's what's sort of this this priceless thing, you know, the history. History is priceless. You know, when you have a part of it, you know, what you're saying is they're going to be on video. But this to have it, the physical history is, is right. much more value. Um, I think I'd go with Mary's veil that she wore whenever the Annunciation happened. Who? That'd be a big time. So, so when the angel appeared to Mary to tell Mary, "Hey, this is the plan," and and then the incarnation took place in her womb, and the veil that was on her head when it happened. That veil. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm. I wonder where that is now, or if we have it. You know, I'd like to have yeah. that. So I was lucky <laughs> to see the Shroud of Turin. The the, pretty cool. the actual one, and that really was fascinating to me. And then I was able to visit a museum with like thousands of relics from saints, and that was like captivating. Okay, 
Um, and so it's just real interesting. Chad, what would you say? Do you have one? Man, I was well, I was thinking about something similar with Mary for a little bit, but I'm uh, trying to think about what would be cool to display in my house. Like there's mm-hmm. one some there's a lot that I could choose to give me spiritual value, which would be way better than displaying in my house. But that'd be cool to have like the grill that grilled Saint Lawrence. Would you use you know? it? No. Okay. Just, All right. Just to have it. Like you wouldn't cook on it. No. Okay. I'd be the cool one. <laughs> I don't know. That would be cool. Yeah. It'd be second class. You know? I, I tell you what, Joan of Arc's sword would be a cool show off. That would be, yeah, that'd be really neat. Mm-hmm. I have Joan of Arc's sword, you know, Peter's sword that he cut the soldier's ear oh, yeah. off. Yep. You know, like that. Where is that? You know, it's a like dagger. crazy. You know, and they didn't think in the moment, oh, that's going to be worth something or mean something. You know, you have all these things. I remember one time we were doing something in a church traveled and we had taken the altar cloth off the altar to put another one on it was like a seasonal and they had a big glass casing in in the altar and as a, a vertebrae and i was like it scared me like, first I was like Wait, what? <laughs> and oh it was a uh, saint philip neary i think oh wow uh, vertebrae crazy um uh so it was just it was just crazy like like when you think of some of these things like you know the history of it you know, Joan of Arc, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, what would you put on display? You know, it's interesting that tomorrow we celebrate the feast of um, Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, mm-hmm. okay? Um, now, he's not called St. Lazarus. I don't know why. Maybe you do, Deacon Adam, but it's just Lazarus. You know, he became, you know, historically, we don't know a lot of what happened post his, res- you know, when he was raised from the dead by Jesus. So Lazarus, the guy those of you who are listening, is the guy in Scripture who was a friend of Jesus, who Jesus, you know, raised from the dead. He was dead for four days, right? Yeah. He's stunk. Which is wild to me. Like, you know? imagine, like, I would love to have his, like, burial cloths and, like, little tomby tomb he was in. Tomb tomb. Because he was in, like, this this tomb. He was in this, like, little cave kind of mm-hmm. in there, and you could, you, they said that you could smell the stench, right? Scripture tells us. And Jesus um, had compassion. He was a friend of Jesus because Lazarus, as we know, um, was the brother of Martha and Mary, who were disciples of Jesus, right? Yeah, and close friends. And close friends. Yeah, it, it, it boggles my mind that you know this guy was raised from the dead and then had to live a normal life and die again. And it reminds me that... <laughs> you died twice? Yeah. 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 It, it just reminds me that, you know... God has done amazing things in my life, and I have to keep living my daily life, and it's easy to forget what he's done. You know, I imagine there are days where Lazarus didn't even think about his first resurrection. <laughs> you know like, what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah, I died. Yeah. <laughs> he went through his day, you know, like a normal day like you and I, and it probably never even crossed his mind, that memory of, you know, oh, that time I died right. and was brought back. Um, and how... That's how it is in this life, you know? Like, we, we go through our days, and God has done amazing things for us, and sometimes we go through a day, and we don't even think about it. You know, we don't think about that time that the Lord saved us from that sin, or the Lord saved my marriage, or the Lord, you know, and <laughs> it doesn't make the event any less amazing and incredible. Uh, that's just how fickle we are, and how, how funny this life is, you know? How do you live up to being raised from the dead, and <laughs> people asking, like, are you the... and yeah, how do you live up to that for the rest of your life? Which is why 
you know, Lazarus probably got in a boat, sailed to another country and became a bishop of another country. He's just like, I got to get away from like, <laughs> I got to get away from the crowds. But what if you had Time your house, on. like the relic was, you know, Lazarus cloth in his little tomb and you just had it like you owned that. And so he slept every night. That would be crazy cave. to own that. That would be crazy. I mean, the Shroud of Turin, like the relics of Jesus are fascinating. And if you actually, you know, if they're not knockoffs, you know, like, you know, like you have credibility that like this was, you know, like a piece of the cross or or his cloth or, you know, Veronica's, you know, to be able to have that where she wiped his face, right? And then the burial cloth, the shroud, which we know is the shroud got, you know, kind of moved around you know, in the centuries and mm-hmm. ended up in Turin, but like to have an actual marvelous of, of Christ. I mean, the things that people travel to, to the Holy land so often, you know, to like walk on the same path to sit up on Calvary, you know, right. To see the whole thing. I mean, I've never been, but just, just knowing that I walked the same path as Jesus or sitting in the, at Caiaphas's house, you know, in the, in the courtyard where Peter denied him. And like, that would be so incredible for my faith. Yeah, I mean, the Incarnation, which was celebrated yesterday in the Annunciation, I mean, it's it's a very real historical, earthy thing. And it's so dangerous to forget that because as soon as we make Christianity or Christ or the saints um, an idea, then we can separate we can separate ideas from each other, right? So I can say, well, I follow Jesus, but I also think this, but I also whatever. Like I, So I can create a new idea for who Jesus is in my mind um, if I don't have a connection to the the Jesus that actually exists, right? Like God became man in a certain place, did certain things. Um, and so there's a certain teaching. It's a definite way of life to follow this man's footsteps who lived this way, who taught these people, who raised this person from the dead. Um, there's no like ability to exchange one idea for another. I'm either following Jesus or I'm not. I'm either living the way he lived or I'm not. I'm either like Lazarus or I'm not. You know, um, so it's just so important, I think, to have that connection. And I haven't been to the Holy Land yet, but I'm looking forward to it because that's exactly the way people describe it. The ideas of the gospel become like an earthly, real thing for them. Right. It's like an incarnation experience for for you as you go to the Holy Land. You think anyone who experienced the resurrection of Lazarus, you know, being raised from the dead, uh, doubted Jesus at the moment, like? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, and there's certain moments in our life where we experience grace or we have, in a sense, a conversion, right? That uh, we look we look back to to remind us of what God's done in our life, you know? And so, you, you know, I'm sure even post-Lazarus raising from the dead, I'm sure life was hard at times, right? Like, it, mm-hmm. it wasn't like he, you know wasn't human he's one tradition has it he was persecuted like everybody else you know martha mary lazarus as they lived out their discipleship they were persecuted in fact the jews wanted to re-kill lazarus because people were believing because he was alive well see i'm saying so it's not like he got raised to a nice cushy life (laughs) he got raised to persecution for the rest of his life yeah yeah but man i feel like well yeah we have those little miracles that happen in our lives that we really recognize and are like, man, I don't know if that, that, that really, I mean, what if it was just an ordinary thing? You know, like, but Lazarus, Lazarus, Lazarus. It's like Scooby-Doo. Lazarus raising from the dead is hard to deny, you know? Ravi? All right. I'm done. Speaking of that. 
You come out of your tomb. When we come back, we're actually going to talk about the greatest miracle of all time. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the health care problem. Are you paying too much for your health care cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a health care sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund health care costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you guys. Thanks for listening in today on the radio, on the podcast. Actually, Chad, I'm I'm usually the one with the list because I have I have braces now, braces. and uh, sometimes these words Lathereth. come out. So Lazarus, uh, <laughs> Wazawith. <laughs> it's so good, but you know the the raising of Lazarus from the dead, right? Like, and the fact that his feast day is you know right for Holy Week, you know, Lazarus was a, also a prefigure of what was going to happen to Christ, right? Jesus was and did die, was put in a tomb and, and you know, rose from the grave, right, from the dead. And, and so Jesus not only did this for his friend, showed that he, you know, can perform this miracle, but this was actually going to happen to him. So it, it was a prefigure of you know, really the the greatest miracle that we know as Christians and it continues to be a miracle. It's a timeless miracle, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, That Jesus died on a cross. Like, and I think that's extremely important. I was doing a Lenten mission this past week and I was reminded of during the mission and part of my talk and then just being in, um, in the church, right? Like giving the mission and the church and the talk, the beauty of the church and, you know the sacramentals but but the the crucified Christ on the cross right like Jesus on the cross and just just thinking of like walking into you know a church that's not catholic and not having a reminder of the greatest miracle right like what Jesus did for us and i think oftentimes in our culture we don't want to talk about it we forget about the cross we want to just we want to live Easter all the time, which is great. Like, hey, he rose from the dead, but you don't have the resurrection without the cross. And I think it's extremely important for us to really wrap our minds around the fact that Lazarus was dead and people mourned it. And Jesus, you know, was prefiguring his death, you know, and Jesus died on the cross. It was much greater of a death because he took on the sin of the world on the cross. Yeah, I mean, our Lord himself connected those events uh, in that parable. If you remember, he he spoke about a a poor man named Lazarus, right? And he died. And uh, the rich man. And then at the end, of course, the the rich man from hell saying, no, but if you send someone to my brothers, they'll listen to them. And what does Jesus say? If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen to someone, even if they rise from the dead. And he was going to raise a man named Lazarus from the dead. And what did the Jews do? Did they say, oh, Jesus? No, they said, I want to kill Lazarus because people are believing because he rose someone from the dead. So his parable was a prophecy about Lazarus, but connecting it to him because people still don't want to believe in Jesus, even though he rose from the dead. I mean, literally, what else could God do? Yeah. He dies on a cross. 
He comes out of the tomb three days later, later, and his people for 2,000 years have evangelized the world not once, not twice, but we keep doing it. Hmm. What else could God do? People are rejecting the gospel, not because there's not enough evidence, not because God has not done enough. Um, even if someone rose from the dead, Jesus did rise from the dead. And so um, Lazarus is a little prophecy about Jesus himself rises from the dead and the church who goes to proclaim that news. And look, there is no other message. Jesus died and rose again is our message as, as Christians. Right. You know, and the world is going to reject it. So it's not like we can get more clever. This is what St. Paul says. I preach only Christ and him crucified. crucified. There's nothing else. Right. We're not going to get better at this. We're not going to get more clever. We're not going to get, you know, people are going to accept it or reject it. And there's not going to be another crucifixion. So it's not like, hey, in, in the history of salvation, you know, Jesus is going to physically do it again. You know, it's. It's done again at every mass. We celebrate it. The miracle is still alive. It's it's Thomas, but it's not going to be recreated historically, right? It, it's a once and for all done deal. Like God came incarnate through Mary, right, and and took on the sin of the world and died on the cross. And it's extremely important, you know, as we enter into Holy Week, we start with Palm Sunday, right, where Jesus comes into the Jerusalem and and they're celebrating, and then you know through that path, like he he knows at this point in his ministry where things are headed like he knows that God's plan and then you know we sell you know the Sunday we sell, you know we hear about the crucifixion in the Palm Sunday and then we go through Holy Week right and we get to um you know Holy Thursday Good Friday you know Holy Thursday washing the feet the last supper you know Good Friday you know obviously the crucifixion and then Jesus is laid to rest and we just kind of have silence until Easter arises from from the grave. But, you know, we come around that. I think what's in, important about the story of Lazarus in, connect, in connection to Jesus' resurrection, okay, is not only was this a prefigure of what was going to happen with Jesus, but the reality of what Jesus did to Lazarus is a reality that can happen in our lives, okay? That is extremely important to know that there are dead places in our life that through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus can come to life. We can experience new life, right? Absolutely. And that's what that's what's extremely important is that the crucifixion of Jesus wasn't just a little over 2,000 years ago as a historical event. The, the power of the crucifixion, because God is timeless and is alive and active in our world, the power of the crucifixion and resurrection can manifest in our hearts, our minds, and our lives, and can transform us so that the reality of the crucifixion and the resurrection can be inside of our hearts, right? Because we're given that grace through baptism and confirmation. Well, and what the story of Lazarus teaches us too is that our role in that drama, like as we go through Holy Week and we want to experience this death and resurrection ourselves, we have a part to play. You know, Jesus didn't take Lazarus out of the tomb, if you remember, right? Like, how did it happen? Lazarus, come out. Yeah. Mm. Jesus gave him the power by his grace to come out. Those of us who are baptized, those of us who are confirmed, those of us who are going to Mass for Holy Thursday, going to Good Friday, Easter Sunday, God has given us the grace. He's given us everything we need to come out of the tomb. But we have to walk out. 
We have to take off those things that bind us, those those linens that are all around us that are keeping us in that tomb. That we, we have a new uniform in the resurrection. It's not the uniform of a dead person. It's Christ. We're clothed in Christ. As we're going to see, the, the Easter Vigil, those that are baptized are clothed in Christ. We're not clothed in the, in the death of this world. We're clothed in the living Jesus Christ. But we have to walk out of the tomb over and over and over again. And, uh, you know, this is a message that can't be said enough. Every Lent, the invitation is, what tomb do you need to walk out of? Hmm. This year, right now, it's a very earthy thing. Like, you need to walk out. I'm going to give you the grace to do that. And Holy Week shouldn't be the same every year because we should have new tombs that we're getting rid of, new linens that we're casting off in our life until one day we cast all of it off in our death. Yeah, don't let it, don't let it stink. That's don't let right. yourself stink. <laughs> I know one of the things, man, I think it could become easy. We, we learned this earlier in Lent when Nicodemus came to talk to Jesus, and Jesus said that people prefer darkness to light, you know, and people prefer their tombs to and their stink to the fresh cloth of Jesus, the fresh comfort uh, and, and light of Jesus, you know? And I think people misunderstand the weight and the absence of death, you know? It's so, it's, well, we don't talk about it often, right? We don't talk about death with our families or even prepare for death often. Um, but we also don't acknowledge, and when death does happen, the, we don't grieve either. We don't grieve the death of people that we love very well. I mean, maybe that's a bold statement. People, well, everybody our, grieves differently. And we have such a cultural vacuum, you're right, is that we, like if we were in a more, uh, more place that's tied to a culture, you know, like a small community of people, but like in America, we just, we're so, but so our grieving rituals, like every other ritual in our life, are just sporadic right. and aren't that effective. You're right. Yeah, and so and so it gets hard to grieve the only, the, the dead places in your own life, like the own tombs that you're, that you're resting in. I don't think we recognize how heavy and the absence of death, you know, like where we are absent, where we are stinking. We don't, smelling. Yeah, we don't want to come around the reality of the cross because it hurts. We don't want to look at the crucified Christ in the church because it's like we, we're reminded of that. So a lot of churches in our world and our country have just crosses, no Jesus on them, mm -hmm. non-Catholic churches. You know, it's like there's a move in our culture to not do funerals anymore. Right. It's like, yeah. oh, we're we want to call gonna, them a celebration of life. We're, gonna, we're actually just going to cremate it and we'll do something later on. And then yeah. you never do like that's sort of a move. It's crazy. And I think you're right, Chad. But if you if you drill down in our own personal lives, it's like we don't want to grieve those places that need to die, right? Mm. And you know, Adam, when you were talking about Jesus calling Lazarus out, I think that's important because you know through our baptism, like we're we we are called to step out to be co collaborators with Christ as we walk this this earth to mm -hmm. to work and walk alongside of Him as disciples, right? But we do have to take some steps out, right? Jesus is right there with us looking at it, our face. But, you know, we have to leave those things in the tomb mm -hmm. behind. And I think a good question is, like, at Easter, you know, through, through Jesus' death, that he died for whatever you're struggling with in your life right now or whatever suffering or pain or lack of healing or whatever, uh, he died for that, and 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 that's real. So as he lay in the tomb, what do you want to leave in the tomb so that at the resurrection you're like, I'm leaving this behind, you know, and I'm entering into new life. 
I'm going to step out of the tomb and I'm going to walk anew. I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm going to leave it behind. And I think I think about that sometimes around Easter and I need to pray around it is like, what am I, what attitude, what behavior, what sin, what, what healing am I leaving in the tomb this time and believing that Jesus died for that and healed it in my life? And again, we were talking about the incarnation earlier, but I can, I can treat that as like an idea or a cool symbol. But the reality is that that's actually really happening. That's the cool thing about what we're doing with Holy Week is not we're not just remembering something, we're bringing it present. And to make it even more earthy, when Jesus was on the cross, he saw my Holy Week that I'm about to go through. In other words, it's not like it was a vague idea for him either. He knew me on the cross, and he knew what I'm struggling with this year, this week, this month, and he was thinking about it. So when he gave his life for the Father, for my sins, for my struggles, he was thinking about this year for me. You know, So for him, it's not an idea. For him, when you say he died for these things, he literally did. And so he's calling me out Friday to join him on the cross, to unite my sufferings and my struggles to him so he could die for them and then raise me to new life. And that's why for us as Catholics, you know, the sacraments are so important, but more so the greatest prayer that we can pray, which is the Mass, right? So at the Mass, maybe you can explain, like, how the timelessness of God is present in the liturgy, right? Like, uh, and why it's so important for us to enter into the liturgy, because where we do experience the Paschal mystery in the liturgy, the the passion, the death, the resurrection of Christ in the Mass. Yeah, and, and Holy Week is a great time to think about the Mass, because we do... The masses of Holy Week are what we wish we could do all year long. Like the Easter Vigil, for example. We wish we could have three-hour masses all year long <laughs> and read the whole Old Testament and and all the New Testament if My we could. kids don't. My kids <laughs> don't want to go through no, but think about singing it, like, of seven readings, although it's beautiful. Like when yeah, you yeah. zoom out and be like, like, what is going on here is unbelievably amazing. Yeah. Right? But, I mean, the Mass is the drama of salvation. So who Jesus is divinely is he is the second person of the Trinity who receives everything from the Father and then gives it right back in gratitude and in love. That's who he is. That's his personhood. In For us men and for our salvation, he took on flesh, given to him from the Father. So, so his human nature is part of the Father's gift to him. And what does he do with his flesh as we celebrated yesterday in, in, uh, in Mass? From the moment of his conception to the death on the cross, he gives his human nature completely back to the Father because that's just who he is. That's who Jesus is. He receives from the Father. He gives everything back. We enter into that, into that dynamic um, and find salvation through the Mass, where Jesus, who receives everything from the Father, we offer that same Jesus back to the Father through Mass. Like we receive his human nature in the body, blood, soul, and divinity of the Eucharist to offer it back to the Father for our salvation, and we get to participate in that and find our salvation. That's why Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. Why? Because eternal life is being caught up in the relationship between the Father and the Son, which is a person too, the Holy Spirit. Like, that is eternal life. To receive everything from the Father and give it back in love by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we elevate the Eucharist and we say, through him, with him, and in him, talking about Jesus, all glory and honor is yours, Almighty Father. 
and it's it's it takes place in the context of the Holy Spirit, right? Like the Spirit makes the Mass possible. So the Mass literally is our salvation made present to us this moment. Why? Because it's not because Jesus' sacrifice on the cross wasn't enough. Is that it? The whole point of His sacrifice is to pierce every time and place with His mercy, so that every person, even if we weren't in Jerusalem two thousand years ago can be in Jerusalem. Every person can be at the cross. Every person can enter into that sacrifice that took place for our salvation this week, today, with my problems, my sins, my concerns. Today, I can take it to the cross. Right. And it happens at Mass. It happens at every Mass. You know, Mm -hmm. when we enter in that, we enter into the Paschal mystery of Jesus, the passion, death, and resurrection. Like, it's, it's, it's real, tangible, and alive. Like, the sacrament, the bread, is not a piece of bread. It's presence of Christ like we enter into the mystery and relationship with Christ right which is why the whole holy week the triduum all the masses are so tangible in a sense you know it's it's like the it's like the one mass like where we you know as as the congregation actually have a part of the gospel mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. where we yell out crucify him right which is horrible thanks, i hate it thanks church for that part you know <laughs> but but Think about that, you know, like, because honestly, we did crucify him. And that's the reality. My sin, your sin, everyone's sin is what brought Jesus to the cross, right? It, it, it was, you know, for God so loved the world. But it wasn't just someone else's sin. It's mine. So when we're in that gospel reading and we're the crown, we say crucify him. It's because we, we're supposed to tangibly recognize that our sinfulness, <laughs> you know, had played a part in it, right? Yeah, and that's an essential aspect to every Mass and the cross is that sin is a part of this dynamic, and we have to wrestle with our own sin to experience the salvation Jesus offers. So there's a lot of uncomfortable moments during the Twitter. You bring up the big one probably, which is we yell out, crucify him, and that, that's awful. There's also Holy Thursday night where we don't do the sign of peace because that was how Judas was be- betrayed Jesus with the sign of peace. Mm-hmm. So we omit that. And uh, this is this should make us wrestle with our sins, how we betray Jesus, often with the sign of peace. Um, there's also the fact that on Good Friday we don't have Mass. This should make us very uncomfortable. It does. Um, because the most solemn day of the year, we want to feel the absence of Mass. So like we want to feel the loss of Jesus. Why? Because of our sinfulness. You see, each, each day has an element of making us introspect about our sins Mm -hmm. and get uncomfortable about it. And I think that's a beautiful tension. Um, And then, of course, Easter Vigil, we start in darkness. It's the darkness of sin, and we move to the light, right? So there's sin elements throughout, and then the darkness is pierced by Jesus' light at the Easter Vigil. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's my favorite liturgy of the year, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard it described as one long mass. Please correct me if I'm wrong about that. But in the sense that you don't, you don't at the at the end of the Holy Thursday. You don't like end with "Go forth, the mass is ended," and the sign of the sign of the cross. And you don't. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but do you start the Easter, Easter vigil that way with the sign of the cross? And the I don't think you do. No, you just start. Uh, you light the Easter fire, and then you start with well, you bless the Easter candle. Right. You just get after it. No, that's a great way to look at it. And I mean, look, this is this is reflective of what Jesus did. Holy Thursday night, he began something that he finished on the cross. So, like, all of his suffering, it was all one event. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the events of Holy Week model that. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. yeah, it wasn't like Jesus was like, okay, last supper, let's take a break. 
<laughs> we'll start back tomorrow <laughs> and uh, ready, cut, you know, and then, you know, they're back on Friday. I don't think like, Jesus got a nap from uh, okay, Holy Thursday. Okay, so to... today's the crucifixion. It's going to be about, you know, 12 hours. And we're going to take a break, and then I'm going to rest <laughs> a little bit in my green room, right? And then, uh, and then we'll have Easter. We'll cook a big meal. It'll be cool. You know, you're yeah. right. Like, this is his life, literally what he was living this whole week. The passion, like the the suffering, the the friendship with his disciple, the institution of the Eucharist, right? The mm-hmm. washing of the feet, uh, where where we're like when we see that tangibly in the Mass, we're like that's really makes me feel uncomfortable, right? Like Jesus washed their feet, and then yet we're called to do the same. Like there's all these real tangible moments within Holy Week that that make us feel uncomfortable in a good way, because you know walking with Christ. Um, takes a lot. Yeah. When you bring up something, Chad, I think a lot of people might not realize, but, you know, the cross took place in the context of liturgy. So Holy Thursday was Passover, right, which is a Jewish liturgy. Yeah. And like our liturgies, like any liturgy, there's a concluding moment normally. Like for us, it's, you know, go forth, the Mass is ended, or whatever, it concludes. Well, Jesus, who was the main celebrant of that liturgy, the new pass he made it the new Passover, the first Mass, right? Like the new mm-hmm. Passover meal. And he didn't conclude it. And before it could finish, they went out to the Mount of Olives to, to sing hymns. Like there was no mm-hmm. conclusion. And on the cross, he said, it is finished. Right? So as the, as the right. liturgist of this new Passover, the presider of this new Passover... It included not only the sacramental symbolism of bread and wine that brings the reality, but also also included the very sacrifice that is offered in that bread and wine in the same liturgy. Right. The first mass included the cross. Mm. Right. Because every liturgy, there was a Passover, there was a sacrifice, right? So when Jesus says it is finished, you know, since like the Passover, the, the mass is finished, his life is over obviously as well like he dies but like the mass is concluded because there there was no you know liturgy without sacrifice there was mm-hmm. no you know the lamb was slain jesus was the lamb and he gave his blood on the altar right and this is the the beauty of the liturgy like and when we really enter into the mystery of the liturgy like you know yeah there's a, there's a lot there so there's holy week there. is that week where we kind of just it's like drinking from a water hydrant in, in a good way. It's just like pouring out all the mysteries of Jesus in a week, right? So that, yes, at Easter we can live as a resurrected people, a people who really believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and that's going to change my life to spread the gospel in the world. Like, you know, if we just go back to our old ways, then what's different about us as Christians? That's what's really important. All right, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the health care problem. Are you paying too much for your health care cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a health care sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund health care costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org.
Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening in on the radio, on the podcast, in studio with Deacon Adam Conk, Uncle Chad. It's a great day. I told you we we're going to be covering a lot because it's like, you know, Palm Sunday, lots of talk. Holy Week, and Easter all in one, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we're talking about it, which is good because I'm actually getting excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a freeze, man. I don't know if you, we about don't have the many palms right now. Holy for Palm week. Sunday. Yeah, so get some dirt, man. Some mud, you know. I mean, that's I where some, we came from. I you could, know? I could, I could bring some palms. I have a little palm tree in my house now. Yeah. I could bring a little leaf for you. Yeah, Maybe. I mean, cut down your your oak tree or a branch of your oak tree or your azalea. Whatever like, you can wave. <laughs> the azaleas are blooming here, which is beautiful. Oh yeah, and it's only like two weeks. It just, just unbelievably beautiful. You know, white, pink, red, and then mm. and then they're they're done. Yeah. So we need. But you, those. you used to live in a part of the country that had like nothing, just brown all the time. Right? Brown down, man. <laughs> I had so many allergies in Phoenix, Arizona. All yeah? the dust there. Oh, yeah. So you might have a lot of allergies here, but it's all the pollen. Yeah. Well, the thing about Arizona and Phoenix is there are a lot of beautiful plants that were transported there. They're not native. Mm. So then it, you know, there's sort of this mix of allergies there. So they would take palm trees from like Florida and put them there, and you know, they're not native there, but they can grow there because of the you know that you water them right um, <laughs> and the heat wow. and and the heat you know Gosh. so but i had cactus in my yard which is weird that is cool yeah the saguaro the saguaro cactus is like you know the big tall cactus Ooh. with a couple of like you know like the ones you see on the west that is pretty neat yeah mm. yeah cacti cacti so anyway we're talking about you know the passion death holy week you know and easter and i think what you know, we come around is this: is that to live as Easter Christians is is just not to to live denying the cross. It's to live as though the cross has changed our life forever, and the resurrection it propels us to live for Christ and share Him with the world. And so, this was the game changer that happened with the disciples, right? Not only the resurrection of Christ, and they experienced the resurrected Christ. And we'll talk more about this as we go through and get into Pentecost and, you know, the Easter season. But the Holy Spirit, this love of the Father and the Son that lives in us and propels us to be co-collaborators in the work of the gospel in the world, right? Like there, there's something that changes or should change in us, you know? Yeah, I think that's an important point of this Easter mystery is the apostles didn't get it. They lived with Jesus for three years and learned from him and didn't quite get it. They didn't get it intellectually. They also didn't get it morally. All the apostles abandoned him in his most needed hour, right? Right, right. Like they weren't on board with the vision and the mission. Because they didn't want to die. the gospel. But through the Easter experience, they got it. Right. They weren't afraid to die. Because they got the Holy Spirit. And it's like that for us. There are things right now on this side of Easter we don't get. Right. I'm not getting it. Right? There's some things I'm on board in some ways. But if I pray for the Holy Spirit to come into my life, especially during the Triduum and like going into Easter and going to Pentecost, I can I can have that kind of experience. Like I can get some things I didn't get before, and uh, and to have the humility to ask God for that. Like Lord, there's some things I don't see right now. I don't even understand about the gospel. I don't even understand about my life that you can enlighten me on through this mystery. Like I want that. You know, All right, so mm-hmm. since we've been fasting over Lent and Easter is next Sunday, we're going to break our Easter fast. Not today, but like then. And do a six pack, a whole six pack of questions. 
All right, question. So I'm going to ask the first question, actually. Oh, it's going to be one of those. Parachute it in. <laughs> and you guys both get to answer it uh, Gosh, quickly. What's your favorite Easter candy? Starburst jelly bean. Ooh. Five pound Reese's egg. Really? Five pounds? Just kidding. I think it's one pound or something like that. <laughs> oh, just one pound. Just the one pound Reese's <laughs> so egg. So the, the Reese's Pieces egg, like shaped like yes. an egg, but it's a Reese's Pieces. Yeah, so you yeah. like the chocolate, the peanut butter. Yeah, oh, I love that combination. I was just talking about the Starbucks, uh, Starbucks, Starburst jelly beans because they, they obviously taste like Starburst, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you don't un- have to unwrap them. You don't yes, have to do the little delicious. unwrap it. You just throw a bunch in your mouth. That's what you like? Love it. The best jelly beans. So they say the one thing or one of the things you shouldn't eat with braces is Starburst. I'm sorry. Man. Definitely like not. Just pop your I'm braces sorry. Off. What but about you? you I'm not that. a big candy eater. Oh. So yours is like broccoli? But like if I had like <laughs> chocolate-covered broccoli, please, in my basket. Um, but Thanks. No, but if I, if I were to like just, if I think like, if I were just grab a handful of like candy and throw it in my mouth, like I like it that much, it would be like chocolate-covered almonds. Oh, that's okay. good. Yeah. I like, I like that. that. All right, question number two for all of you. Oh. Um... What are you going to do different this Holy Week? Could be tradition-wise, could be just the way you do it. But, like, what's what's going to be unique this year for you for Holy Week? Hmm. I'll, That's uh, an interesting one. I, uh, I think I'm going to force myself to really rest on Good Friday. And, you know, Good Friday for most of us, a lot of times we have awful work, mm-hmm. right? And, like, you know, you know, we can't go to Mass. Um, but there's the Stations of the Cross that we can go to. But to, to just leave the whole day silent, like no phone, no work outside of the stations, like literally like just wrestle with this emptiness that is Good Friday, this lack of Jesus. It, it's I want to I want to like embrace that this year. Mm. Well, I'll have a child for Holy Week this year, so I'll take the cop out answer. So um, <laughs> but. I've been reading about old traditions during Holy Week, and one I haven't seen, maybe we did it, we used to do it at the church that I belong to, but stopped, like the Tenebrae service, mm-hmm. and trying to figure out how to do that at home. So I'm kind of working on what that might look like. What is that? It's a... Tennis bracelet service? <laughs> what? Tenebrae. Oh, Tenebrae. Tenebrae service. Have you heard of that? No. Okay. Actually. I don't know a whole lot about it, but I do know one of the cool things. I sing a lot of hymns. Um, and they'll turn the lights off. The way the way this was, I read about it was they would turn the lights off in church, and they would have uh, a little candle holder that had thirteen candles, twelve representing the disciples, and the center one being Jesus. Okay. And as the service would go on, they'd extinguish extinguish a cam- candle one at a time, and then uh, this is usually on Wednesday evening. Oh, that's Wednesday cool. Wednesday evening service. All right. So your homework is to find out more about this. Tradition How to do it? Yeah, yeah. And, and they would extinguish. And tell us about it. Right. So then we could actually. So yeah, they would extinguish the candle, and then that would represent the apostles each departing from Jesus, as maybe those Thursday night or Wednesday night. But yeah, that's cool. That is cool. All right. Oh, question number three: What would you say to people? We, we've been talking a lot about the mass and how the cool things going on, right? But what would you say to people that go to mass and think, "What's this about?" Okay. And I don't. I get that it's a really awesome yep. thing, but that's not what I experience. Yeah, no, and I think that that's what we wrestle with. You don't have to understand what's going on to be present, like, honestly. So mm-hmm. it's good to understand and learn and grow, and so that when you do understand, it's like, oh, I know. But there are a lot of things I didn't understand about marriage, 
before getting married and while I was married, mm-hmm. right? Like, so liturgy is one of those things that you just do, you jump into. And then as you continue to be alive and active in the life of the church, you learn and grow as you don't. So don't let the excuse of, I don't know what's going on. I don't understand it. I don't really know what they do. That's not, the liturgy is like, show up and jump in. And that's why it's repetitive. That's why you like, you can like, you know, you got, you can follow along. And then as you get more and more into it, you learn as you go. And, and I think the excuse of, well, you know, I haven't been Catholic or I don't know what they do. Don't let that stop you. Yeah. And liturgy is a lot like the Bible in that sense that you can have that same reaction. I opened it. I have no idea what it says. I'm right. just not going to pick it up I'm again. I'm just not reading it. So just like the Bible, I think, especially if you're going with someone to Mass, what's one thing that interests you? Because mm-hmm. if you can talk about one thing in the Bible, it opens you up to the whole message. Similar with liturgy. You can talk about one aspect, whether it's the sign of the cross or the whatever, and you could just talk with them about that element. It opens them up to the rest of the Mass. Yep. You know, so I would just want to encourage people because, you know, just because we don't know how to do something or know about something doesn't mean that we shouldn't jump into it, you know. And so if that was the case, we'd never try anything new or do mm-hmm. any new job or develop any new skills. We'd be like, I don't know how to do it. So <laughs> don't. my question, question like number we're, four. We're, oh, going, yeah. we're going around. It's happening. So I would say for you, uh, Deacon Adam, you know, since being a deacon, is this your first or second Easter? First as a deacon, yeah. First as a deacon. What are you most excited about just being clergy, you know, ordained with with the liturgy that that um, that's coming up for you? Well, I mean, proclaiming the gospel of the passion uh, is something. I mean, proclaiming the gospel has been pretty moving for me the whole time, but to to tell this story mm. for the community, mm. pretty moving, yeah. When you get to be, you know, you you get a different seat in the liturgies than we do, you know, this year, which is cool. You know, yeah, you get to see it from a different perspective. That is cool, and I mean, uh, oh, I am I'm serving at the Chrism Mass for our diocese. That's neat. So I'll be one of the deacons, you know, to the, you know, have be closer to the bishop, and to actually assist the bishop as he celebrates this very important, uh, you know, Dawson thing. It, and you know what? In that aspect, I do. I mean, there's a sense of serving Christ in a new way because I mean the. The bishop, the priest, whoever I'm serving, they're standing in the person of Christ, and I, there's a there's a real reality to that as you're serving. So I get to serve Christ differently during Holy Week. I'm looking forward to that. You guys have good beards. Chrism oil would be a good beard oil. Smell good. Yeah, they make beard oil that smells like chrism. Yeah, and it's delightful. Yeah, yeah. Can I answer your question number two again, real quick? Okay. I thought about. <laughs> so we're not having. What's the what do they, what do we call the um? It's not the Passover. It's the Seder meal. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing the Seder meal in public this year, and I thought about it, like, man, Abigail, my wife, how can I, how can we do that at home? You know, have a little our own little Seder meal, and you know what? We have so many Greek places around here. I figured out how to find some lamb. You could just go there, and they, they make it for you. And then unleavened bread, their pita bread. It's not leavened bread. There you go. So that's Look, what I'm gonna do. Also sounds delicious. It does sound very delicious. Oh yeah. Question number five for both of you guys. Um, so. Easter Vigil is a pretty awesome liturgy. We were talking about that earlier. Uh, share with me an Easter Vigil memory, just something, a time that was meaningful for you. Where were you? What was going on in you? Um, I took our kids to the Easter Vigil, and it was horrible one year because they were small, and it lasted forever. And the priest asked my daughter Sarah to bring up 
the the uh, s- some the gifts the gifts mm-hmm. okay but she went back there at the beginning because we thought and we didn't realize that the whole first part of the mass is like two hours and she was standing back in the back of the church for oh, like no. forever and oh. then um yeah so and then we just had kids falling asleep oh. and uh it was painful man oh dang I'll, <laughs> so we sent them home so here's the good news is okay. we sent them home with the grandparents who were like i'm so tired and then uh and then uh, we got to enjoy the mass without kids. <laughs> there you go. Beautiful. I so I'll be honest. I haven't been a practicing Catholic for that long. I mean, I've been practicing Catholic for eight years, really. And I didn't know about the Easter Vigil until about four years ago. So I've really only been going for about four years, and um, I didn't know I could attend. I guess and for until about four years ago, we've had some cool moments. Nothing, nothing story worthy. I guess I've I've brought my Protestant friends to it. Because uh, he's usually in town around that time. He's in the military. And so they'd come down in town and we'd take him there. And uh, he was confused about how long it was. So it's very long. I don't know that it was the, the perfect mass to bring him to, but it was beautiful. It's not always the perfect mass to bring someone who's not Catholic because it is long and, and you know, arduous. I'm sure Jesus is working, though. You know, I'm sure he is, you know. but Yeah. Um, it's cool to watch. It's just awesome to watch people come to church. I watched the whole family come into the church, you know, a couple years ago, which is really neat. When we yeah. lived in Arizona, we would go to the Sunrise Mass on Easter, which was unbelievably beautiful because the weather in Arizona, it never rains. And so it was outside. Literally, the Mass was outside as the sun was coming up. And it was just this beautiful ah. sort of like just idea that the sun was coming up over the tomb of Jesus, you know, and uh, like the light of Christ was coming into the world. I loved that Mass. That was pretty cool one so that's pretty incredible neat wow i should have a question number six by now yes um yeah greek food greek food yeah yeah (laughs) have you guys ever celebrated seder meal at home yeah yeah and i've done it with friends and community it's pretty cool you know when you do it right um and fun and the food's not always the best you know it's not like going to a greek restaurant and ordering really good food but um you know when you when you do it, 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 it's pretty cool. How would you describe the Seder Mass for people that don't know what it is? Seder meal? So uh, Seder the, meal. the idea sense. is you do what Jesus did that night, you know, which makes sense. And you can do it any time, but you go through the ritual of, of um, the Jewish Passover. But then there are Christian Seder meals where it just, it like explains the connection of that symbol or that element to our to our faith and how Christ fulfills it. Mm-hmm. And it is awesome for kids to learn about the mass in particular because mass is our Seder meal. Like mm-hmm. it's it's literally the Passover meal. It's lamb. Made new. The lamb it's a lamb. Slain. You know, we started doing a cuz we we used to do a holy Thursday night. Um but then we became more active in the parish and stuff. So now we go to Olive Garden after Holy Thursday Mass. That was my idea for you. Remember I got you the to Garden do it to olives. go? Like, yeah. You were oh, like, we yeah, can't we do Olive Garden. And, and we I was did. like, get it to go. And we did. Yeah, we did you exactly did. that. So one, we'll of, one of the, the Garden of Olives. One of the yeah. traditions that we've done um, just as a family is we've recreated the washing of the feet Ooh. at our house. You know, where go around and, and wash my family's feet and then invite them to do the same. The so kids have gotten older, you know. It's kind of gotten smellier, you know. A <laughs> lot, you know, like Jacob, wash your feet ahead of time. <laughs> Disgusting. 
uh, anyway, so well, you know, when I'm, they're really small, it's easier to do some things like yeah. that. But um, so, I've been wanting to incorporate like serving for a meal. That might be, I, I my, we got to work on like serving each other as a family. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. And I, I'm always impressed with the religious communities if I visit for retreat or something. But you know, like the brothers serve you so well, and it it helps create that spirit of service. You know, and uh, I don't know. So I'm a, washing of the feet is a good idea. Yeah, so we do that. And it, and you don't have to cook. You know? So anyway. All right. Great show, man. We covered a lot of ground. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Feel free to share the show. Uh, it's our Easter edition and Palm Sunday and Holy Week edition. And uh, we look forward to being back with you guys in a couple of weeks. So talk to you later. Have a wonderful, wonderful uh, Holy Week and Easter. God bless you.